We are in a series that we have been going through called Connecting with God, and we've been talking about the ways that we can engage with God in our daily life, the ancient practices, really, of of ways that we can be a part of of God, and God can be a part of our lives in, in the daily flow, in the daily rhythm of things. So this is what we have been talking about, and so as we just get into this, let me just pray for our time together, and we'll ask God to to teach us and to work in our hearts. So, Father, I ask now that you would meet us here. We know that you are good and that you want good for us. We know that you love us and desire us to experience life with you. And so, Lord, wherever people are in this room today, whether they come in suffering or they come in joyful or they come in anxious, I pray that you would teach us and we would be able to hear uh, your your voice today, and we would be able to listen to you and be led by you and be changed by you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We want to feel closeness in our relationships. We want to feel intimacy in our relationships. I was uh, looking up just this word, intimacy, and putting it into Google just because I was thinking about this idea. And this is from Healthline, which I've never heard of that before, but it was one of the top results that came up. And it says, what is intimacy? Intimacy is closeness between people in personal relationships. This closeness. We don't just want relationships. We want a closeness that we actually feel. It's what builds over time as you connect with someone, grow to care about each other, and feel more and more comfortable during your time together. Or this is just kind of the, one of the results also top results says intimacy involves the feeling of being in a close, that word again, in a close personal association and belonging together. It's a familiar and very close, effective, that that heart level, effective connection with another as a result of a bond that is formed through knowledge and experience of the other. That's what we want in our relationships. We, we don't just want to have relationships. We want close relationships. We want intimacy. And we want that in, in all of our relationships. We want that with our friends. We want that with our spouse. We want that with siblings. You, we want that close, bond, effective uh, connection, that belonging. I mean, all of that stuff is what we desire out of our relationships. People never just say, yeah, I just kind of want a person in my life. We want this. We want closeness. We want intimacy. We, 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 sometimes we call that chemistry or connection or whatever it is, but that is what we desire, to be known and to know, to enjoy someone and to be enjoyed. That is what we desire. And the greater the, greater the person or the greater kind of the, the, uh, the greater the quality or the potential quality of the relationship, the greater that intimacy can be. So if you've got a pet, you can say, man, I feel really close to, to Fido and Fido's my man's best friend, right? And I, oh, I love my dog and we're so close. But if somebody said that that, like, I feel this way about Fido the same way that I feel about my wife, you would think something was really strange and twisted, right? Because there's a quality we can experience with a dog, and there's a quality we can experience with a husband or a wife, even friendships. If you said, man, my friend, I feel this bond with, and I feel this closeness with, and this enjoyability with, and man, we have this effective connection together, but my spouse, yeah, man, yeah, we're married. Or, yeah, my kids, yeah, you know, I'm holding this baby, but it's all right. 
Like we want, we want to have intimacy and closeness and the greater the potential of the relationship or the, the greater kind of the, the actual relationship we have, the greater the degree of intimacy that is available and possible and thus the greater the joy and the greater those feelings that we just went through and looked at, the greater that that is actually available. So if we can have that with a dog and we can have it with a friend and we can have it with a spouse and we can have it with a child, it also means that is available to us with God. That intimacy, that closeness, that belongingness, that known and being enjoyed, that bond, that experience of fondness and affection that is able to develop, that is available to us at a greater degree. Like, think of your most intimate relationship or your closest relationship that you have and the joy that you experience from that. If it's true that the, the, the quality of the relationship is determined based on the quality of the person or the potential of that relationship, then the joy that we could have with intimacy with God or closeness with God is actually infinitely greater than any of the other relationships that we have. And, and I don't know what your experience is right now with God and, and what that feels like. Maybe you feel cold in your relationship with God or just kind of indifferent. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you say, yeah, I would like to have that. I would like to connect with God. I would like to be close with God. I would like to have an effective bond with God. I would like to have that, but I feel kind of stuck in that. And maybe sometimes the way you even articulate that, for those of you maybe that have even been Christians for a long time, you may, you may feel, yeah, I know a lot of stuff in my head, but I don't necessarily feel it in my heart. Sometimes that's the language that people or maybe you actually feel really close with God. You feel like you've got this intimate connection with God, this closeness with God, but maybe you're not even sure where that came from. It's just right now you're, it's, it's happening. You're like, I don't want to lose that. I want to hang on to that. I want to have that. Maybe you can point to times in your life where that's taken place before and you don't really know how to get back to that. And, and a lot of that really is what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. But one of the key things that we have yet to discuss of how your closeness or your intimacy with God can increase. One of, the, one of the key ways in your life that that is available to you is found in a surprising place. So if you want to be close to God, if you want to connect with God, if you want it to be true of God, all, all of this stuff that we looked at, to have a belongingness and a familiarity and a very close effective connection and a bond and a knowledge and an experience. If you want to have that with God, one of the keys is found in a place that we don't often put together with intimacy and closeness, and that's in obedience to God. And I know I just said the O word. That's a word that a lot of people don't like. Talk about obedience. It's not something in our culture that we prize, the value of obedience, right? We prize freedom, and see, babies are even crying about obedience. Nobody likes it, right? <laughs> we, we, we prize freedom and autonomy and individuality, and obedience can kind of be like, ah, I don't know about that. But it's actually one of the keys to our closeness and our intimacy with God. And so I want to explore that today and help us to move towards a deeper closeness and intimacy through the path of obedience. So we need to start with this, which is why does obedience create closeness? Why does obedience 
to God create this intimacy or this closeness? And we'll just use that word through the rest of the time. Now, you may think of God. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, kind of wherever you are on the spectrum or unsure where, where you're at, you may think of God that kind of what you have is, is what you get. So God loves you and God forgives you and God's a good God and that's kind of the end. That he's loving, he's forgiving, he um, has brought you into his family and the end. It's just kind of this static, done once and done, God loves you, forgives you, and now it's over. There's not really a change. You may kind of think about that when you think about God. He's loved you as much as he'll always love you, and he, he delights in you as much as he'll always delight in you, and there's not really any sort of change. That Just what you have with God is what you get. But that's not really the case. See, the key to intimacy with God The key to closeness with God is understanding this, that our relationship with God is dynamic. And by dynamic, I don't mean dynamic like you might say, oh, that was a, you know, that's a dynamic speaker or that's a, that was a dynamic movie or or something like that where you're using it in a, in a way to say it was amazing, but I mean dynamic as in a back and forth. So when you talk about the dynamics of a relationship, or you talk about workplace dynamics and those things that are a back and forth kind of contribution. See, our relationship with God, and we don't often think about it like this, our relationship with God and thus intimacy with God or closeness with God is dynamic. This is the same, we, we know, we don't think about this with God, but it's the same in all of our relationships. If you are married, your relationship with your spouse is dynamic. You may feel on one day, oh, I made the best decision of my life. I love this person. This is beautiful. And on a next day, you might feel, oh. And that's it. That might be your total emotional experience that day. And then on another day, you might feel kind of negative. You might feel, man, this person is driving me crazy and what is going on and we need help. And, and it's the same with your, your friends or your boss or your employees or your kids. That our relationships always have a dynamism to them. They're always dynamic. Intimacy with God is the same way. Closeness with God is the same way, even though we don't often think about it like that. So let me just be clear in what I'm saying here. You can cause God displeasure while at the same time he absolutely loves you. You can cause God degrees of displeasure and you can cause God degrees of pleasure. That God can be more, listen, this is, we're going to explore this, but I just want to be clear so you hear this. God is happier with some of you than he is with others. God is pleased with some of you more than others. God is pleased with some of you today, maybe more than yesterday. And this year, maybe, maybe right now in your life, God is pleased with you more than he was last year. So let me, let me just kind of walk you through some scriptures that talk about God's pleasure. Because if we explore the fact that God can be pleased in us, then that means at some points God is less or more pleased with us. 
and shows the dynamism of the relationship. So let's look at this. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says this. We are asking, so Paul is praying for the church. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So there is a prayer that we would not be kind of pleasing to him, but fully pleasing to him. That is, what does that look like? It looks like bearing fruit in our actions and growing in our relationship of him. Here's 1 Thessalonians. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. We are not trying to please people, Paul says. And we don't care what people think, but we are trying to please God. We want, our motive is to please him, which means that that is possible or not possible. Here's how he says it in Hebrews. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Don't neglect to do good. There's good that you should do. There's sharing that you should do sacrificially in your life that if you do, God says, ah, I am pleased with that. First Thessalonians, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. So he says, some of you are pleasing God right now. It's great. You are, you, are, you, you are loving people. You have received instruction from us on how you should do this. And you are pleasing God. Do it more. Which means there's degrees of the ability to please or displease God. It's dynamic. Last one, I think. Paul says, therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, it's our goal, it's the bullseye to be pleasing to him. Paul says we are trying, we are working, we are making it our goal, our aim, our focus, our direction. Everything in life is pointed towards saying, I want to please God. So here's the big idea. That there is a dynamic relationship with God. That God can be pleased and not pleased in us. He can be pleased and he can be very pleased in us. That we can do things that bring God displeasure and we can do things that bring God deep pleasure. This is not inconsistent. It's not inconsistent to say that God has fully forgiven you and fully loves you and at different times is more or less pleased with you. That's not inconsistent with our relationship with God or human relationships. Listen, there's times in your life, there's times in my life, like I'll just give you an example, with my kids that they have done something and, they, and just so you know, I have older kids. I'm not talking about like a baby. So I, I've got an 11-year-old, 9-year-old. There's times in, my, in, in our life that they do something and, all, and if it's kind of their, their hearts are hard and they don't want to ask for forgiveness and they just kind of want to keep going in that direction. And at nighttime, my wife or I will sit down with them and say, I want you to know I love you no matter how good you are and no matter how bad you are. I deeply love you and nothing you can do could ever change that. But right now, 
things aren't okay between us. Right now, I'm not happy with how things went down. And you need to change. And I'm displeased with where they're at. That's not inconsistent with deep love. It's not inconsistent in human relationships. And it's not inconsistent with God. Let me, let me show you how doctors John Piper and Ray Ortland, who are pastors and authors and smarter than I am, say this. It says, God does not have the same emotional response to all his children. Just, I'll read the rest of that, but just think about that for a second. God does not have the same emotional response to all his children. What the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, that's where Jesus gives us his record and says, you are now declared just because of me. What the imputation of the righteousness of Christ means is that God does not see my sin as any longer condemning me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My sins are all forgiven. Okay, that's the good news. That's the gospel that you didn't do anything to earn that. That's a free gift given to you. That does not mean that God does not see my sin and my obedience and feel differently about each one. God is pleased with my obedience and he is grieved by my sin. The answer to does God delight in some of his children more than others is yes. And he delights in you some days more than he delights in you other days. Ray Ortland says it like this. This is not legalism. For those of you that are like, wait a minute, this seems like earning God's favor or his forgiveness. The one whose mercy flows freely to the undeserving is not a machine. This is getting at that dynamism. He is not a mechanical grace dispenser. He is a person. His smile is not an all-approving grin. He has moral sensitivities. We please him and we displease him moment by moment. What if our Savior wants to get up in our faces about things in us that displease him? Will we dismiss that message as legalism? We can turn it into legalism. The Bible is alerting us to the heart of our Father, a heart that is wounded by our sins and follies, and a heart that is pleased with our humility and obedience. See, our relationship with God is dynamic. We can cause him pleasure. We can cause him displeasure. We can cause him degrees of pleasure. And here is what that means. It means that we can feel. It means that we, here's where we get to closeness and intimacy. It means that we can feel at times in our life the absence of his pleasure. And we can feel available to us. We can feel his pleasure. And his delight. We can feel that. That's an available experience. That's what we call in human relationships intimacy. And we can feel that. My wife has been before uh, an executive assistant for, for people. And at times she has done some projects or done some different things. And, and she's come back and said, man, it feels so like I'm helping this guy so much. And he's so happy and he's so like thinks, man, I'm changing his world and changing his life. And everything's getting organized. And, and he is pleased with that. And she can feel that pleasure and feels, man, it feels so good to know that I am helping. It feels so good to know that he's pleased. It feels so good to know what I'm doing here. Because somebody can be pleased with us and displeased with us and we can feel that. 
what that means is that we are able to feel God's pleasure. We can feel a closeness and an intimacy and an effective bond and belonging. That is available to us. That closeness and intimate experience is available to us, not just in human relationships, not just with Fido, but also with God. Does anyone have a dog named Fido? I, you know, it's kind of out of style these days, I guess. I don't have a dog, so I, you know, I keep just saying Fido. Marley, I guess that's a better dog name, you know. It's got a movie. So if it's dynamic, if it's dynamic, okay? O- obedience creates closeness, point number one, because our relationship with God is dynamic. I just have to lay the foundation with that because we don't often think of it that way. But if it's dynamic, here's what it means. A dynamic is a back and forth which means that we can add to it. There's things that we can do to contribute to the closeness, just like in human relationships. If you've got relationships and you feel like right now they're not as close as you want them to be, not as intimate as you want them to be, if you just sit there and go, intimacy, 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 it's not going to happen. There's things that you have to do to add to the equation. You have to buy flowers for your husband. You have to buy... I'm just, you, oh, you sexist people. What is going on here? It's 2020 almost. Uh, you, have to, you have to do, you have to you know, think about love languages and give gifts and write notes. And, and if you want to build intimacy with your kids, you have to spend time with them and take them on daddy-daughter dates or play football. Or You have to do things that build intimacy and build connect. The same is true with any dynamic relationship back and forth. So if our relationship with God is dynamic, it means that we can add and that God adds. And for us, what it means is the way that we add or the way that we bring something to the equation is we obey. The way that we say, God, I want to build intimacy with you. I want to build closeness with you. So here's what I do. What we do is we obey. Just the way that you would play football with your kid or that you would give flowers, that's the way that you are showing love. The way that we show love is obedience. First John says, this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. So if we want to say to God, God, I want to show you my love, we don't go buy God flowers. If we say, God, I want to show you my love, let's play football. And then it comes back down. I guess he threw it back to you, you know, by gravity. But that's not really how we play with God or add value. The way we, some of you just start getting, you're like, oh, oh wait, okay. So the, the way that we contribute is by obeying him. That's how we bring our love to the dynamic relationship is obedience. This is how we can begin to see that obedience is key to intimacy or to closeness that we show our love the way that we say, man, I want to work on my relationship with God. I want it to be close. So I'm going to do something is we obey. See, here's, here's what this means. This is so important to get our minds around this, whether you've been a Christian for a long, long, long time, or you're just kind of not sure about this whole faith thing. Obedience is not just about doing the right thing. It's not just about some rules, a list of rules to follow, and we're saying, okay, I need to not do the wrong things, and I need to do the right things. It is relational. It's a way that we actually show our love to God. It's a way that we say to God, I want to be close with you. I want to be near you. 
I want to be bonded to you. I want to care about what you care about. I want to get to know you. And so my life is actually in step with you. See, obedience is not just a list of rules. It's not just don't do this and do this. It's a relational interaction. It is, in some ways, our relational currency with God. It is our part of the dynamic. It's how we interact with him. And if it's dynamic, we add something and God adds something. If it's dynamic, if there's pleasure and displeasure and degrees of pleasure and degrees of delight and degrees of happiness and all of that, it means we add and it means that God's not static with that. We don't say, okay, God, I want to show you my love. And God just goes, yeah, I already knew that. Yep, and I already love you as much as I can ever love you. That's not what happens. Like, what if, what if my wife is like, man, I really want to let once, so on my birthday, my wife makes me beef wellington, which is the most beautiful thing in the world. I don't know if you've ever had it. It's, um, well, my wife is the most beautiful thing in the world. And then after that is beef wellington, sorry. Um, <clears throat> on my birthday, I get both. It's great. It's a meat donut, okay? It's, a, it's puff pastry, which is delicious, and then steak inside of it. So that's just like, okay, yum, you know? And if she made that for me, it takes work too. It's not easy. It's not like you microwave it and here you go. Here's some beef wellington, right? You, she, if she gave that to me and I go, yeah, I already love you. I remember my vows. I, I love you as much as I could ever love you. She wouldn't go, oh, I feel so secure in his love. <laughs> she wants me to have an emotive response to that, right? She wants me to say, thank you so much. Thanks for thinking about me. Thanks for adding some value to the relationship. Thanks for contributing something. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just, and I wouldn't say it like that, but thank you for doing something to show me your love. And then I give back in that by buying a nice meal somewhere because <laughs> I can't cook. Um, although my kids think I can make eggs better, but um, that's a debate in our home. <clears throat> Uh, what was I saying? Okay, so we, we add something and then God adds something. You see, here, here's what the Bible says about God adding something. God is not static. That's the point I'm trying to get across here. God is not static. So when we love and when we show our love by obeying, God does something now back into the equation. Here, here's what it says in Deuteronomy. If you listen, here's obedience. It's gonna say, when you obey, God will show you love. If you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances that the Lord your God, the Lord your God will keep his covenant loyalty with you as he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. God already loves them. He's already given them his covenant. He's already saved them. He's already brought them into relationship. He's already given them forgiveness and salvation. That belongs to them. But, he says, if you obey... God will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will add something. Here's how the New Testament says it. This is Jesus speaking. In case you just think that's an Old Testament, oh, that's legalistic or something. No, here's what Jesus says. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So when you are obeying me, you're showing your love to me in the relationship. And the one who loves me will be then in return loved by my Father. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So do you want to be loved by God? You already are. But there's another sense 
in which to experience that love and to receive the dynamic quality of that love is contingent upon you showing your love to him. It's a circle, a dynamic of relationship. So do you want to experience more the love of God? Do you want Jesus and the Father to reveal themselves to you? Which means you start to get to know, that's intimacy, that's closeness, right? That's language of intimacy and closeness and connection. To say God will reveal himself to you. You'll get to know more who he is. He'll bring you more into his world. You'll see more of his heart. You'll get, you'll get bonded closer. You'll have an experience of him. Obey, by, that's you showing your love in the relationship. And then he shows you his love in the relationship. And you get closeness and intimacy as a result. One last verse. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love, which means stay in it. I've already given it to you, but now live in it. Stay in it. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Do you want to stay in this intimacy? Do you want to stay in this closeness? Remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. See, do you want to experience a joy of closeness and connection? That's what we want in all of our relationships, right? No one just wants a spouse. No one just wants a kid. They want closeness and bond and intimacy. And he says, that's what I want for you. I'm telling telling you how to get it. I've told you these things so that my joy would be in you and the joy would be complete. Here is how D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, comments on this. He says, The injunction to remain in Jesus' love presupposes that however much God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, continued enjoyment of that love turns at least in part on our response to it. And then he gives an illustration. He says, There's a sense in which my love for my children is immutable regardless of what they do. So it doesn't change. That's what I was saying with my kids. I love you no matter what, no matter what you do. There's a sense in which that's true. There's another sense in which they know well enough that they must remain in my love. If my teenagers break curfew for no good reason, the least they will experience is a bawling out. I don't know what that means. And they may come under some restrictive sanctions. He's Canadian, so whatever. (laughs) There is no use reminding them that I'm doing this because I love them. That's true. But the manifestation of my love for them when I ground them and when I take them out for a meal or attend one of their concerts or take my son fishing or my daughter on an excursion of some sort is rather different in the two senses. So you ever had a a father, usually it's a father, maybe it was your mother, that says, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And they get ready for the swing of the paddle or the belt or a, a good father actually meant that, okay? There's obviously abuse, and I'm not trying to minimize any of that, but a good father actually meant that. They really meant, I love you right now. It's not going to feel like it. See, God can love us infinitely, and yet our experience of the intimacy and closeness varies based on our experience of his pleasure and displeasure, which is based on us and what we bring to the equation, and what he gives back in the equation. Our relationship with God is dynamic. Our relationship with God is dynamic, which is why obedience creates closeness. You can live in more the joy that is available to you in God. You can live in that more. 
I don't want this to be bad news to you. It's like, oh man, so God can be displeased with me tomorrow? Maybe some of you need to hear that as a corrective to just thinking God loves me, God forgives me, he doesn't care what I'm doing, and he just has a giant grin no matter what. So maybe some of you need that, but I also want you to know, man, there is a joy and a closeness that Jesus says and a revealing of himself that's available to you that you can have, that you can go, man, God delights in me, and I feel that. And I feel close with him. Listen, some of you, you are obeying God right now. And it is hard. You are trying to obey God with whatever stuff it is. I don't know all the particulars of your life. But you are trying to obey God. And it's hard. And what you need to know is right now, God is pleased and delights in you. And you are adding something to the equation of God going, I am so pleased with you right now. Because other people around you might not be pleased with your obedience. And so this is a great motive and a great encouragement to hear, my father can actually delight in me. Look, most of us have wanted to please our dad. We can actually please God. We can please him. He can have a big, giant smile of delight and say, you are pleasing to me. I am not static in my feelings, in my emotions, and even as a way to show it, even as a way for God to show, hey, I want to show you how I feel. We get these kind of um, experiential closeness and revealing myself. We get that. But God also blesses our obedience to show, to show that he delights and is pleased in it. Here's just a couple quick things on that. Here's what Jesus says. Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are you when you hear God's word and obey it. Jesus says you will be blessed. Or here's how James says it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and per perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. See, God wants to show his part of the dynamic relationship. And so he blesses when we obey to show that his love is, in a sense, in this sense, increasing for us in that moment. Now, that blessing might be just the blessing that we experience of God's joy increasing in us. It might be eternal blessing. The Bible talks about rewards that, that we get for being faithful and righteous. But it can also be particular, specific blessings that God gives to us to show as manifestations of his love and delight and pleasure in us. So why does obedience create closeness? Because it's dynamic. God's a person. He's not a force. He's not a mechanic grace machine, or however Mr. Carson said it. He sees your life. He sees what we do. And listen, here, here's, the, here's the good news of what this is saying here. God wants to be close with us. And he's showing us how that's available. God wants to be close with you. There is more that you can taste and experience. You can fully experience a relationship with God. Don't settle for just saying God loves me and forgives me the end. Like you don't want that in any of your relationships. There is more, and God wants to give it to us and invites us into it. So let me ask this question now, which is how do we practice obedience that creates closeness? If obedience 
creates closeness, if that's available to us, how do we practice an obedience that does that? Because if this is true, we don't oftentimes feel this. I don't know your experience right now with God, but a lot of times we don't feel close, intimate, bonded, affect, joy completed. We don't often feel that. And maybe, there can be a lot of reasons for that, okay? But maybe, we're just talking about this today, maybe it might be that you think that you're obeying and you're not. Just consider this. I'm just going to give you a couple things on this. It might be that we think that we are obeying and we're not. There's two key things that get in the way. See, if obedience creates closeness, what if you think, I'm obeying right now, and you're not? Then you might say, no, obedience doesn't work for closeness. But what if we think we're obeying and we're not? And there's two key things that I think can contribute to that that are common in the Christian experience. One of them is hearing. And we looked at this verse before, but let me just go over it again. James says, be doers of the word. That's the obedience. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. What are you doing right now? You are hearing. You are hearing the word. And Christians do a lot of hearing. You might hear on a Sunday. You might hear with music. You might hear other sermons maybe you listen to during the week or a podcast or a blog or maybe you read your Bible. We hear a lot. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To hear is inherently deceptive. To be a hearer of the word is dangerous and often deceptive because if anyone's a hearer of the word, and not a doer. He's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. See, hearing can contribute to our lack of obedience because we think that in the act of hearing, something changed. So we go and, like James says, we look in the mirror. We go, man, I look bad today. This is an awful day for me. Whew, okay, I see it. My hair's messed up. I got zits all over. I, I'm, I've got, well, I got stuff in my teeth. This is bad. And I see it clearly. And we walk away and nothing is, and someone says, hey, do you know your hair's kind of messed up and you got zits all over your face and you've got stuff in your teeth? And you go, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, I've dealt with it. Go, no, you haven't actually. Now that's, you know, an insane scenario that probably has never happened to you as an adult. Maybe it did in high school. Um, but that is what James says is the metaphor. That hearing shows us stuff. Hearing shows us, here's what change looks like in your life. Hearing shows us, here's what God wants you to do in your life. Hearing shows us, here's how you respond to these situations. And we think that in the act of hearing, some sort of change has actually happened. But often it hasn't. So we can say, man, I'm trying to obey. I'm, I listen to sermons, I read my Bible. But if nothing's actually changing then we're just looking in the mirror and walking away. There's a, a pastor uh, named Jeff Vanderstelt, and he talks about this even in Christian kind of small groups, Bible study uh, kind of settings. And he says, we don't need more Bible studies. What we need is more Bible doings. Because the last thing that you studied, you didn't do. So why study a new thing? There's an, this, no one knows if this story is true, but the Apostle John, there's a story. He talked a lot about love in the Bible. And there's an ancient story that he goes into a church and he says, little children, love one another. And then he comes the next Sunday, says, little children, love one another. 
And then people start saying, man, this guy just keeps preaching the same sermons. What is going on? And he says, I'll preach a new sermon when you live a new way. But until then, I'm going to keep saying, love one another. And once you start obeying that, then I'll start preaching something different. So that's what I'm going to do. It's going to make my life a lot easier. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Our next sermon series is two sentences, and it will go for however long, you know. But there's a good point in that to say that what might be keeping you from obedience is actually thinking you're obeying just because you're hearing. But let me give you a second thing that I think keeps us from obedience often, and it's that obedience is unnatural in some ways. The acts of obedience, of this is what would be obedient, is unnatural or very different from the world and the culture around us. So here's how Romans says this. Do not be conformed to this age. And this is an instruction for all Christians to hear in all of our ages. Do not be conformed to this age, this culture, this worldly moment that we are in. Don't be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what's the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So you want to be able to discern what's the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. That doesn't happen naturally. What happens naturally is being conformed to the age. It means just becoming a part of what is already happening around us. There are cultural values and systems at play that we all believe are normal. Or that at least we are tempted to believe are normal. Because it's just the culture that we live in. We don't think it's obedience or disobedience. We just think it's normal. So let me give you a couple of those just so you can see. This is from The Atlantic in a great book, if you haven't read it, called Coddling of the American Mind. It is, uh, was voted in 2018, one of the best books by all the different rankings. Okay, I won't list them out. But here's just kind of what they say as they have looked at culture are some of the key values that we buy into. And these are not Christian authors, by the way. This is just their assessment of culture. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Or the idea that exposure to offensive or difficult ideas is traumatic. It doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So watch out for things that might not make you feel safe. Always trust your feelings. Or the notion that feeling upset by an idea is a reason to discount it. We are very offendable. And we think that if we feel something, if we feel bad, if we feel offended, therefore that must be bad. Us versus them or homogenous tribal thinking that leads people to shame those whose views fall outside of their group. I mean, love politics in America where everyone gets along and is able to have fair and balanced discussions. So beautiful. It's us versus them and shaming other people instead of actually listening. Or here was a massive study done by Barna, which is a large research group. And they kind of put this out a couple years ago. And it's called The Morality of Self-Fulfillment. And I've mentioned this before, but I just want to show you again. I'm going to go through these quickly. If you can see these percentages, this is U.S. adults and then Christians. And the big idea with that is there's not much difference. So we're not talking about the world out there. We're really talking about the world in here. It says, here's what the morality of self-fulfillment is. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. People should not criticize someone else's life choices. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things that you desire most. The highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. People can believe whatever they want, as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. This is the morality of self-fulfillment. 
And it's very different from the Bible's morality. Now, I could go into a whole sermon on this and what the differences is, but what I just want to show you is some of these you probably look at and go, yeah, what's wrong with that? Because it's just the culture that we live in. It's the age that we live in. And so here, here, here's my point with all that. Here's the point. You might not be thinking you're disobeying. You're just thinking you're living normal. I'm just trying to fulfill my life. I'm just trying to do what makes me happy. I'm just trying to avoid things that, that uh, you know, make me feel uncomfortable. I, you know, I just, I'm upset with that person because they offended me and I feel like this. And, and we just think it's normal. I don't think that there's a bunch of you in this room that are consciously thinking, I want to disobey. Now, maybe, maybe some of you are. But I don't think that's what's happening with most people. I think we hear and, and trick ourselves, like James says. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're obeying just because we've heard. And I think that we often just live with a moral rubric that's actually very different from what God speaks to us. Because most of how we live is out of our unconscious values. I mean, you're not probably consciously sitting down and going, okay, do I obey or disobey on this decision? You're just thinking, these are just normal. These are just my values. So how do we actually practice it? Those are the dangers, but here's what, here's what Paul gives us to actually practice it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And you can kind of read that and think about the culture and the age, and there's empty words that are given to us. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. Don't, don't join in on the cultural age. Don't join in on those that disobey. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live a different way. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is the key practice. If you want to have an obedience that leads to intimacy, that leads to closeness, if you want to practice an obedience that leads to closeness, this is the key. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Not just see if it happens, but an active posture that says, what is God's will? Look carefully then how you walk. You see the proactivity there? Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, what leads to closeness is obedience. And the practice of obedience that creates this is a practice, a discipline that says, God, what is your will in this situation? Listen, how often do you ask that question? How often do you say, God, what is your will? in this situation. Not, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about God's secret will of, God, who should I marry or what job should I take where we're asking God to kind of give us secret information. I'm talking about things in front of you and you are saying, God, I want to know, how do, I, how do I obey you here? How do I obey what you've said? How often do we bring that to our relationships, to our time, to our goals, to our parenting, to our money, to everything, to say, God, what is your will? How do I obey you here? I'm trying to discern what is pleasing to you. 
What if we use that as a key core practice in our life that we thought through everything and said, I want to try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Look at just this quick progression. Here's how it goes. You desire. You say, man, I want to obey you, God. So here's how you can bring this into all your life. Say, God, I want to obey you. I want to do what's pleasing to you. I want to, I don't just, I'm not just trying to say what makes me happy or what do I enjoy or what's being true to me. I want to obey you right now. So any situation going on in your life that's difficult or you're not sure what to do or just key areas of your life like marriage and parenting and money and time and goals and all that stuff. If you say this, God, I want to obey you. That just starts with desire. Do you actually bring that to the table? We got to start there. And then to discover, which means to open up the Bible and say, so what do you say about this? Like, I can't say your will be done if I don't know what your will is. So we say, okay, I want to know what do you say about these things? Not what do I think about these things? Not what does this blog say about stuff? Not what does my friend say about stuff? Not what does my mom say about stuff? Not what is, but I want to know, God, what do you say? Because I want to please you. We discover what God says, and then we discern how to please him. So we've heard what he says is his will, and now we think about, okay, so how can I, how can I obey this? What does it actually look like for me to put that into practice? And then we do it. We obey. We don't kind of walk through all these steps and go, now I know, and then walk away from the mirror. We obey. See, this is how we practice obedience. And the last thing that I want to look at here is what gives us a desire for this. What actually creates a desire in us? What creates a desire in us to say, okay, so closeness with God is available to me. God wants to be close with me. God's inviting me to be close to him. And the way that I can do that is through obedience and not just an obedience that thinks I'm obeying, but an obedience that says I'm actually coming to all of my different relationships, decisions, and saying, God, I'm trying to discern what's pleasing to you. I want to be close to you. I want to go where you go. I want to walk where you are walking. That's the invitation. But what helps us to actually desire that? Because maybe you're not even sure that you do. Or maybe sometimes you do and other times you don't. What helps us actually desire this? Because we can still look at all of this stuff and say, I don't know if I want to do that, or maybe it's too hard to do that. I'd rather just kind of do my thing. Or maybe you actually say this, okay, here we go. This is obedience week. I'm going to do it. But here's what, here's what actually creates this desire in us. Jesus says it, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love God, you will obey him. If you love him, you'll want to be close to him. If you love him, you'll want to please him. If you love him, you'll want to enter into the relationship equation. If you love him, you will obey him. And how do you love him? How does that love get created? We love because he first loved us, John said. You see, what creates in us a love that leads to obedience, that leads to experiencing love, that circle of love? What, what, what happens is we love so we obey. 
And then we experience God's love. But the way that we love to begin with is because we see that he loved us. We love because he first loved us. Do you know? Do you know that before you ever obeyed, God loved you in your disobedience? Do you know that before you ever did anything right or wrong, God loved you? Do you know that before you were born, God said, I want you and adopted you and called you? You see, God adopts you. And if you're a Christian, God has adopted you into his family before you did anything. We had babies up here this morning. Those babies didn't do anything to be born. They didn't do anything that earned their birth. And when they came out, their parents didn't say, okay, you know, that was a seven out of 10 on the birth, you know, experience. So I'm, I'm gonna love you about a C, maybe C minus. There's no, there's no grade on it. They love them because they were theirs. And the good news of the gospel is that we were children of wrath, that we were disobedient. And God said, I want you in my family. God said, I forgive you. I want you. You're mine. And I love you. And we then love him and then want to please him. And then we experience more of that love. You see, if you want to love God more, you want to obey more, you want this closeness more, you got to go back to the beginning, which is what we remember when we take communion. That Jesus had his body broken and his blood shed. That he saved us to give us his love. He saved us to call us into his family. That's the great love that he gave to us, which then, man, don't you want to be close to that God? Don't you want to be close to a God that would fully give himself to you? I do. And I pray that we all would as a church. Would you pray with me? And then we will respond in taking communion and in singing songs. Father, thank you for your grace to us. That loved us before we were lovable. That loved us before we did anything. God, I thank you that there is a dynamic relationship available with you. And that you want that for us. That you are inviting us into that. You're inviting us in to experience a closeness and an intimacy. Thank you that you are not a distant God. Thank you that you are not a far off God, but you are a God that wants us to be closely connected to you. Thank you for that invitation. May we each respond to that. May we remember your goodness and your love towards us as we sing and take communion. And then may we go from here wanting to please you and feeling your pleasure. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.